I've always had a soft spot for the wilderness, a kind of sanctuary where the world's chaos takes a back seat. That's why I became a park ranger. The year was 1986, and let me tell you, it was a time unlike any other. Neon lights, cassette tapes, and movies that have now become classics. But even in that vivid era, the park was my refuge. It was a place where time seemed to slow down, where the air was crisp and the pine trees stood tall and proud, like sentinels guarding a sacred place. My colleagues and I had a routine. After a long day of patrolling, maintaining trails, and ensuring the park was as pristine as Mother Nature intended it to be, we'd gather at the ranger station. It was a humble building, but it was ours. We'd pop a VHS tape into the VCR and let the flickering screen take us to galaxies far, far away or to the heart of a love story. Those movie nights were a simple pleasure, but they meant the world to us. They were a slice of normalcy in a job that often reminded us how unpredictable nature could be. But even in the most serene settings, oddities have a way of creeping in. It was late spring and the park was alive. The air was filled with the scent of freshly cut grass and pine, a combination that always made me feel more alive. I was walking past a cluster of picnic benches, lost in thought when something caught my eye. A Halloween mask, the kind that covers your entire head, was lying on the ground as if discarded in haste. It was designed to look like a vampire, complete with exaggerated fangs and a menacing expression. I stood there for a moment, puzzled. Halloween was months away, and even if it weren't, what was a mask doing here, in a place where the only masks you'd expect to see were those of animals in their natural habitat? I radioed it in. Base, this is Stuart. Found something odd near the picnic area. Over. Go ahead, Stuart, came the reply, crackling through the radio. It's a Halloween mask, a vampire to be exact, just lying here on the ground. There was a pause. Well, that's a new one. Log it and keep an eye out. Could be kids messing around. Will do, base, over and out. I picked up the mask, its plastic surface cold to the touch, and logged it as instructed. But as I went about the rest of my day, the mask stayed on my mind. We've all got stories, little oddities that punctuate our daily routines. But this felt different. Like the opening line of a story, I wasn't sure I wanted to read to the end. That night, as the credits rolled on another movie, I looked around at my colleagues each lost in their thoughts or in casual conversation. I wondered if any of them felt it too. The subtle shift in the air, the sense that our sanctuary had been touched by something we didn't quite understand. And so, the mask became a part of our lore, a small mystery in a place filled with ancient trees and timeless landscapes. But as I'd soon find out, some mysteries have a way of digging their claws in, refusing to be forgotten. Little did I know this was just the beginning, the lake had always been a place of solace for me. Tucked away and surrounded by a quarry, it was a hidden gem in the park. The water's surface was like a mirror reflecting the sky and the surrounding trees. It was a place where you could lose yourself in thought, where the world's problems seemed far away. But that evening, as the sun dipped below the horizon, casting long shadows over the water, the lake felt different. It felt like a place hiding a secret. I was making my rounds, the setting sun painting the sky in hues of orange and pink. The air was cooling down, a welcome respite from the day's heat. I drove my truck down the narrow path that led to the lake, the tires crunching on the gravel road. I parked and stepped out, taking a moment to breathe in the fresh air. That's when I saw it, a small object on the wooden dock that jutted out into the lake. 
curiosity peaked, I reached for my binoculars. As I focused the lenses, the object became clearer. It was another mask, just sitting there, as if waiting to be discovered. My heart sank. This was no coincidence. Someone had been here, in a place that required a key to access. A place that was off-limits to the public. I grabbed my radio. Base, this is Stuart. I found another mask. This time it's by the lake, on the dock. Are you sure? The voice on the other end sounded incredulous. As sure as I'm standing here, we've got a situation. This area is supposed to be locked up. Understood. We're sending a team to your location. Stay put and keep an eye out. Roger that. I stood there, watching the mask from a distance. It was unsettling this intrusion into a place I had always considered safe. I felt exposed, like a deer that senses a predator but can't see it. The team arrived, and we documented the find, snapping Polaroid photos and sealing the mask in an evidence bag. But the questions remained. How did it get here? Who had the audacity to breach a restricted area? As we left the lake, I couldn't shake the feeling that we were being watched. I scanned the tree line, half expecting to see a figure lurking in the shadows. But there was nothing. Just the rustling of leaves and the distant call of a night bird. The lake had given up its secret, but it felt like there were more to come. Back at the ranger station, the mood was somber. We were all thinking the same thing, but no one wanted to say it out loud. This was more than a prank. It was a violation, a breach of the sanctuary we were sworn to protect. And it was my job, our job, to find out who was behind it. As I clocked out for the night, I looked back at the park, its dark silhouette framed against the night sky. It was still beautiful, still a place of refuge, but it had lost some of its innocence. And I couldn't help but wonder what else it was hiding, what other secrets were buried beneath its tranquil surface. This was no longer just about masks. This was about preserving the sanctity of a place I loved, and I was determined to get to the bottom of it, no matter what it took. Summer had settled over the park like a warm, comforting blanket. The days were long, the air was thick with the scent of blooming flowers, and the sound of laughter from families enjoying their vacations filled the air. But for me, the season had lost some of its luster. The masks had become a dark cloud hanging over the park, a riddle with no answer. I was driving my truck through a particularly dense section of pine trees, the air conditioning fighting a losing battle against the heat. The towering pines seemed to close in around me, their branches forming a natural tunnel. It was a part of the park that always made me feel like I was entering another world, a place untouched by time. But today it felt different. It felt like the trees were whispering secrets, secrets I was not privy to. I parked the truck and stepped out, my boots crunching on the bed of pine needles that carpeted the ground. I was about to head back when I saw it, a mask, propped up against the trunk of a pine tree, as if it were casually resting there. My stomach lurched. This mask was eerily similar to the first one I'd found, but distinct enough to be a different one altogether. I grabbed my radio. Base, it's Stuart. Found another mask. This one's near the pine grove. A sigh came through the speaker. Copy that, Stuart. Log it and bring it in. We'll have to discuss this at the next briefing. Will do. I approached the mask cautiously, as if it were a wild animal that might bolt. I picked it up, its plastic surface now warm from the sun. I looked around, half expecting to see someone watching me, but I was alone, or at least it felt like I was alone. 
Back at the ranger station, the mask was logged and sealed in an evidence bag, joining the others in a growing collection that no one wanted. The room was thick with tension as we discussed the finds. Halloween was still months away, and the nearest store that sold masks like these was miles away. The internet wasn't an option. This was 1986, after all. Someone had gone through a lot of trouble to place these masks, and the why of it was driving us all a little crazy. We need to increase patrols, said my supervisor, breaking the silence. And let's get some volunteers from the community to keep an eye out. We can't let this go on. Nods of agreement filled the room. We were all thinking the same thing. It was time to take action. As I left the station, I couldn't shake the feeling that we were missing something, something crucial. The masks were a message, a signal of something darker lurking in the shadows. And as much as I wanted to believe it was just a prank, a voice in the back of my mind kept whispering that it was something more. I looked out over the park, its beauty now tinged with an undercurrent of menace. The pine trees swayed in the wind, as if nodding in agreement. This was a mystery that refused to be ignored, and I had a sinking feeling that things were about to get a lot more complicated. I needed answers, and I needed them fast. The park was my sanctuary, a place I'd devoted years to protecting. These masks were an intrusion, a violation that I couldn't let go unanswered. That's why I found myself driving to the local college, where a man named Eric Pierce was said to have the kind of knowledge that could shed light on our mystery. The campus was quiet, the academic year having ended a few weeks back. I parked my truck and made my way to the history building, a brick structure that had seen better days. The hallway smelled of old books and floor polish, a scent that took me back to my own college days. I found Pierce's office at the end of the hall, its door ajar. Come in, he said before I could knock, as if he'd been expecting me. Eric Pierce was a tall man, his hair graying at the temples. His office was a labyrinth of books and papers, a lifetime of knowledge crammed into a small space. He gestured for me to sit, and I took a seat across from his cluttered desk. Nick tells me you're dealing with a rather unusual situation, he began, getting straight to the point. That's one way to put it, I replied, recounting the events of the past weeks, the masks, and the growing sense of unease among the rangers. Pierce listened intently, nodding as if he'd heard this kind of story before. When I was done, he opened a drawer and pulled out a folder, handing it to me. Ever heard of James Finley? he asked. I opened the folder to find newspaper clippings about a local criminal who had vanished without a trace years ago. What caught my eye was a detail about Finley's modus operandi. He wore Halloween masks during his robberies. This is starting to make sense, I muttered, the pieces of the puzzle falling into place. Pierce nodded. Finley disappeared in the woods near your park. Some say he buried his loot there, but no one's ever found anything. So you think these masks could be connected to Finley? It's a possibility, he said, pushing another folder toward me, but there's more. I opened the second folder to find missing persons reports. Three men, all in their late 20s to early 30s, had gone missing in the area over the past few months. These men were last seen near the park, Pierce continued. Locals say they were looking for Finley's treasure. A chill ran down my spine. So you think they might have found something they shouldn't have? Pierce leaned back in his chair, his eyes meeting mine. When people go looking for things, they often find more than they bargained for. I thanked Pierce for his time and took the folders with me, my mind racing as I drove back to the ranger station. If Pierce was right, 
we were dealing with something far more sinister than a simple prank. These masks were a warning, a sign that the park's secrets were darker than any of us had imagined. And as I pulled into the station, I knew one thing for certain. It was time to dig deeper, to unearth the truth hiding beneath the surface. Because whatever was going on, it was far from over. The ranger station was buzzing with activity when I walked in, folders in hand. I could feel the tension in the air, a palpable sense of urgency that had settled over us all. I briefed my colleagues on my meeting with Professor Pierce, laying out the clippings and missing persons reports on the table. The room fell silent as they absorbed the information, the weight of the situation sinking in. We need to involve the community, said my supervisor, breaking the silence. We can't keep this under wraps any longer. We need eyes and ears out there. And so, we organized a community watch, reaching out to locals who knew the park like the back of their hand. Hunters, fishermen, hikers, people who had a vested interest in keeping the park safe. We held a meeting at the ranger station, laying out the facts and asking for volunteers. The response was overwhelming. It seemed the masks had struck a nerve, turning a local oddity into a community-wide concern. Armed with flashlights and walkie-talkies, the volunteers patrolled the park in shifts, their eyes peeled for anything out of the ordinary. We set up a hotline for tips, and the calls started coming in. Most were dead ends, strange noises that turned out to be wildlife, shadows that were just tricks of the light. But then we got the call we'd been waiting for. A local fisherman was out on the lake, his boat drifting near the quarry, when he saw it, a figure standing on the dock shrouded in darkness. He couldn't make out any features, but the figure seemed to be staring right at him. Then, as quickly as it appeared, it vanished into the trees. My heart pounded as I listened to the fisherman's account, my mind racing with possibilities. Could this be the person behind the masks? And if so, what were they up to? We organized a search party, combing the area around the lake and the dock, but it was like looking for a needle in a haystack. Whoever this person was, they knew how to cover their tracks. We found nothing, not even a footprint. It was as if they'd vanished into thin air. The community watch continued, the volunteers more determined than ever. But as the days turned into weeks, the leads dried up. It was as if the park itself was keeping its secrets, refusing to give up the ghost. And then, just when we thought it was over, another mask appeared. This time, it was found hanging from a tree near one of the hiking trails its empty eyes staring down like some sort of twisted guardian. I stood there, looking up at the mask, a sense of dread washing over me. This was far from over, and the message was clear. We were not alone. Someone was watching us, toying with us, and there was nothing we could do but wait for their next move. As I drove back to the ranger station, the sun setting behind me, I couldn't shake the feeling that we were on the edge of something dark, something that threatened to consume us all. And as much as I wanted to believe we could stop it, a voice in the back of my mind whispered the chilling truth. We were in over our heads, and the worst was yet to come. The summer was drawing to a close, the days growing shorter, and the nights cooler. The community watch had been disbanded, the volunteers returning to their lives, the sense of urgency fading away like the setting sun. But for me, the mystery of the masks was a wound that refused to heal a puzzle with missing pieces that haunted my every thought. I was on the night shift, the park bathed in the soft glow of the moonlight. I drove my truck down the winding roads, the headlights cutting through the darkness. I was about to call it a night when my radio crackled to life. Stuart, you there? It's Paula. 
I'm here, Paula. What's up? I think you should come to the station. There's something you need to see. Her voice was tinged with a note of urgency that sent a chill down my spine. I turned the truck around and headed back to the station, my mind racing with possibilities. When I walked in, Paula was standing by the table, a look of disbelief on her face. Laid out before her was a series of Polaroid photos, each one more unsettling than the last. They were pictures of us, the rangers, taken from a distance, our faces clearly visible in the frame. Where did you find these? I asked, my voice barely above a whisper. In the mailbox, no return address. They were wrapped in a plastic bag, along with this. She handed me a note, its message scrawled in a shaky hand. Stop looking, or the masks won't be the only things you find. My blood ran cold. This was a threat, a warning that we were getting too close to something we weren't meant to see. We need to go to the police, said Paula, her voice tinged with fear. I agree, I replied, grabbing my jacket. Let's go now. We locked up the station and headed to the parking lot, our footsteps echoing in the empty night. And that's when we saw it, a mask hanging from the rearview mirror of my truck, its hollow eyes staring back at us. I felt a wave of nausea wash over me, my legs trembling beneath me. This was no longer a game, it was a hunt, and we were the prey. We need to get out of here, said Paula, her eyes wide with terror. But before we could move, the sound of footsteps echoed from the darkness, slow and deliberate, drawing closer with each passing second. We turned to look, and there, emerging from the shadows, was a figure wearing a mask, its face a grotesque parody of a smile. I reached for my radio, my hands shaking, but it was too late. The figure raised its hand, and in it was a camera, its flash bursting forth, blinding us in a burst of light. When my vision cleared, the figure was gone, vanished into the night. But the message was clear. We were not alone, and the eyes that watched us were not those of a friend, but of a predator, lurking in the shadows, waiting for the perfect moment to strike. And as we stood there, trembling in the darkness, I knew that the masks were just the beginning, a prelude to something far more terrifying, something that lurked in the depths of the park, a darkness that now knew our names. I sat down at my old wooden desk, the one that's seen more years of service than any piece of furniture should. The creaking chair beneath me felt like it was sharing my burden as I opened my laptop. I navigated to the online community that had become my confessional, my sanctuary. My fingers hesitated over the keys before I began to type. Hey everyone, it's Ryan again. I can't thank you enough for the support you've given me. Your words have been a lifeline in a sea of chaos. I finally told Jen, my wife, about everything. It was like lifting a boulder off my chest. But I've got more to share, and it's heavy. I paused, thinking about Lisa. She was a good ranger, one of the best, but she'd been different lately, haunted. I continued typing. First off, Lisa, my fellow ranger and friend, has resigned. She's been having nightmares, the kind that follow you into the waking world. Nightmares about the Whistler. I remembered the last time I saw her. She looked like she hadn't slept in weeks, her eyes ringed with dark circles, her skin pale as winter. She'd pulled me aside, her voice trembling. Ryan, it's getting worse. The whistler, it's like it's coming closer, even in my dreams. Last night it was right in front of me, whistling that god-awful tune. I felt calm, 
too calm, like it was lulling me into something terrible. I'd wanted to help her, but what could I do? We were rangers, not ghostbusters. And now she was gone, resigned and retreated from this cursed place. I couldn't blame her. I miss her, I typed, but I'm glad she's out of this hellhole. She deserves better. We all do. I thought about how I'd finally spilled everything to Jen. It was a hard conversation, filled with disbelief, fear, and finally, a quiet understanding. She didn't fully grasp it, how could she? But she knew I wasn't a man given to flights of fancy. The relief of sharing it with her made me feel like I'd shed a couple of decades. I told Jen everything I wrote. It was hard, but necessary. She's worried, but there's a newfound openness between us. Secrets are heavy, folks, and we're all carrying too many as it is. I wrapped up the letter. I'll be partnered with a new guy, Zach, starting tomorrow. He's young, fresh out of college, and I worry for him. This place, it changes you. I'll keep you all posted. Until then, stay safe and keep your eyes open. You never know what's lurking in the dark corners of the world or your mind. I hit submit and leaned back, staring at the screen as if expecting immediate answers to unasked questions. The room felt colder, as if acknowledging the weight of my words. I shut the laptop with a sigh. It was done, another chapter in a story that seemed increasingly like a horror novel. But this was no fiction, and the next chapter was waiting to be lived, whether I was ready or not. And so, in the dim light of my desk lamp, surrounded by the wilderness that was both my workplace and my haunting ground, I braced myself for whatever would come next. The night was darker than usual, the kind of dark that swallows up the stars and leaves you feeling like you're standing at the edge of an abyss. I was paired with Ranger Jack, a grizzled veteran who'd seen more years in the park than most of us combined. His eyes had that far-off look, like he was always seeing something the rest of us couldn't. Quiet night, I said, breaking the silence as we patrolled the trails. Quiet's not always good, Ryan, Jack replied, his voice tinged with a gravity that made my skin crawl. Sometimes quiet's just the deep breath before the storm. I glanced at him, intrigued and uneasy. You speak like a man who's seen that storm. He sighed, as if debating whether to open a door long kept shut. Finally, he spoke. Ever heard of the Whistler? I felt a chill run down my spine. I have. Lisa told me about her nightmares before she left. Jack nodded, his face a mask of grim understanding. Well, I've got a tale of my own. Happened back in the 90s. I was a rookie, eager to prove myself. Got a call about a bear near one of the cabins. Turned out it was no bear. He paused, as if reliving the memory. It was a stormy night, much like this one. I reached the cabin and found a family and a young couple all scared out of their wits. They told me about a creature, something that stood on two legs and had eyes like burning coals. And then, in the middle of the storm, it broke into the cabin. I felt my heart pounding in my chest. What happened? It took the young woman, Jack said, his voice barely above a whisper. Broke the glass door and took her, just like that. We heard her screams and then nothing, just the wind and the rain. I was speechless. The weight of his words hung in the air, heavy and suffocating. And management? I finally asked, my voice tinged with anger and disbelief. What did they do? Jack chuckled, a dry, humorless sound. What they always do. Covered it up said it was a bear attack. But those of us who were there, we know the truth. We heard the whistling, that eerie tune that still haunts my dreams. I looked at him, seeing the years of burden etched into his face. Why are you telling me this? Because you need to know, he 
he said, locking eyes with me. You need to know what you're up against, what we're all up against. I nodded, a newfound sense of dread settling over me. Thanks, Jack. I wish I could say it's good to know, but... He cut me off. No need to say it. Some truths are better left unspoken. But now that you know, you can't unknow it. Remember that. As we continued our patrol, the silence returned. But it was a different kind of silence, filled with unspoken fears and haunting melodies. And somewhere, in the dark recesses of the night, I could almost hear the faint strains of a whistling tune, a lullaby from the depths of a nightmare. And so we walked on, two men bound by a secret, a terror that neither of us could escape. The night was thick with mist, the kind that blurs the line between the earth and the sky, making everything feel close yet infinitely far away. I was on patrol with Zack, my new partner. Young guy, fresh out of college, full of that kind of optimism that only comes from not knowing any better. Beautiful night, isn't it? Zack said, his eyes scanning the horizon. Depends on your definition of beautiful, I replied, my gaze fixed on the fog that was rolling in, thicker and faster than I'd ever seen. We got the call around midnight. A couple, Jared and Emily, experienced hikers, had gone missing. Their family was worried, and with good reason. This park, it's not like other places. It has a way of swallowing people whole. We need to find them, and fast, I said, my voice tinged with urgency. Zack nodded, his face serious. Let's do it. We followed the trail they were last seen on, our flashlights cutting through the fog like knives through butter. But the fog was relentless, swallowing up the light, the trees, the very path beneath our feet. And then we heard it, the whistling, a tune so eerie it made the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. I stopped dead in my tracks, grabbing Zack's arm. Wait, I whispered, my eyes darting around trying to locate the source of the sound. What is it? Zack asked, his voice tinged with fear. The whistler, I said, my voice barely above a whisper. We need to go back, now. But before I could say another word, Zack broke free from my grip and ran into the fog, shouting the names of the missing couple. I cursed under my breath and ran after him, my heart pounding in my chest. I found him a few minutes later, standing still, his face pale as a ghost. He was staring at something, something I couldn't see, something hidden in the fog. What is it? I asked, my voice shaky. It's them, he said, pointing to a shape in the fog. Or what's left of them. I looked closer and felt my stomach churn. It was Jared and Emily, or at least what was left of them. Their bodies were torn apart, as if by some wild animal. But I knew better. Animals don't whistle. We need to go, I said, grabbing Zack's arm and pulling him away from the gruesome sight. But what about them, he asked, his eyes filled with tears. We can't help them now, I said, my voice filled with a sadness and resignation that comes from years of seeing things you can't unsee. But we can help ourselves. We made our way back to the cabin, our hearts heavy, our minds filled with images we'd rather forget. But some things you can't forget, no matter how hard you try. As we reached the cabin, I looked back one last time, half expecting to see a figure emerge from the fog, whistling that eerie tune. But there was nothing just the fog, thick and impenetrable, like the mysteries that haunt this place. And so we walked on, two men forever changed, bound by a secret that neither of us wanted but couldn't escape. And somewhere, in the depths of that fog, I knew the whistler was watching, waiting for the next soul to claim. The morning after the fog, 
the park felt different, like a room where someone had rearranged the furniture while you slept. Zack and I were called into the office, a cramped space filled with the smell of stale coffee and old files. Management wanted to see us. Sit, said the man behind the desk, a faceless suit from the higher-ups. His eyes were cold, calculating like he was sizing us up for coffins. We're reassigning you, he continued, shuffling some papers. Effective immediately. I looked at Zack. His face was a mask, but his eyes betrayed a flicker of relief. I couldn't blame him. After last night, the farther away from that trail, the better. Any questions? The suit asked, clearly uninterested in any questions we might have. Just one, I said. What's going to happen to that area? Are you closing it off? The man chuckled, a sound devoid of humor. This park is a business, Ranger. We can't afford to close off an entire section just because of some unfortunate incidents. I clenched my fists, biting back the words I wanted to say. Unfortunate incidents? Is that what we were calling it now? We're done here, the man said, dismissing us with a wave of his hand. As Zack and I walked out, I felt a weight lift off my shoulders, only to be replaced by another, heavier one. We were safe, for now. But what about the next pair of rangers assigned to that godforsaken trail? What about the hikers, the families, the kids? Hey, Zack said, breaking my train of thought. You okay? I looked at him, really looked at him, and saw a young man trying to make sense of a world that had just shown him its darkest corners. I'm fine, I said, forcing a smile, just thinking about what's next. He nodded, understanding the unspoken words. We were both thinking it. Once you've seen the things we've seen, what's next seems like a question with no good answers. As we reached our new station, a cabin on the opposite side of the park, I couldn't shake the feeling that we were being watched. I scanned the trees, the trails, half expecting to see a figure emerge from the shadows. Let's go, I said, ushering Zack inside. We've got work to do. But as I closed the door behind us, I couldn't help but wonder, was it work we were doing or something else? Something darker, something that had nothing to do with trails and hikers and the great outdoors. I shook off the thought, focusing on the tasks at hand. There were trails to patrol, families to assist, a job to do. But as I settled into the routine, a thought kept nagging at me, a thought as persistent as the fog that rolled in that fateful night. We were safe for now, but the whistler was still out there, and something told me our paths would cross again, in this life or the next. I sat down at my computer, the screen glowing in the dim light of my cabin. My fingers hovered over the keyboard, hesitant. I had a story to tell, a warning to give, but how do you put into words something that defies all explanation? Finally I began to type, my fingers flying over the keys as I poured out the events of the past few weeks. The nightmares, the fog, the whistler. As I wrote I felt a strange sense of relief, as if the very act of putting it into words made it less terrifying, less real. I hit send, my post disappearing into the ether of the online community I had come to think of as a second home. It was a place for people like me, people who had seen things, experienced things that defied all logic and reason. A place where the inexplicable was the norm and skeptics were shown the door. Almost immediately, the responses began to pour in. Words of support, of sympathy, of sheer disbelief. But among them, one caught my eye. A message from someone who claimed to have experienced something similar. A ranger from another park, miles away, but worlds apart. We need to talk, the message read. I think we're dealing with the same thing. 
My heart pounded as I read the words, my mind racing. Could it be? Could there be someone else out there who had seen what I had seen, who knew what I knew? I typed a quick reply, my fingers trembling with a mixture of fear and excitement. I'm listening, I wrote. Tell me everything. As I waited for a response, I couldn't help but think about Zack, about Ranger Jack, about all the others who had walked these trails, patrolled these woods. Were we all part of something bigger, something darker than any of us could have imagined? Finally, the reply came, a detailed account of events so similar to my own that it sent chills down my spine. The fog, the disappearances, the eerie whistling that seemed to come from nowhere and everywhere at once. We need to meet, the message concluded. We need to figure out what this is and how to stop it. I sat back in my chair, my mind a whirlwind of thoughts and emotions. For the first time in weeks, I felt something I had almost forgotten. Hope. Hope that there was an answer, a way to stop the nightmares from becoming reality. But as I sat there staring at the screen, another thought crept into my mind, unbidden but undeniable. What if we were wrong? What if this was something that couldn't be stopped? Something as old as the hills, and as relentless as the fog that rolled in that night. I shook off the thought, focusing on the here and now. I had a meeting to arrange, a mystery to solve, but as I typed my reply, agreeing to meet in a neutral location, I couldn't shake the feeling that we were playing with fire, that we were about to step into a world from which there was no turning back. And somewhere, in the depths of that endless night, I knew the whistler was listening, waiting for the moment when we would venture too far and the hunter would become the hunted. I sat down with a stack of old reports, newspaper clippings, and a map of the park. My eyes were bloodshot, my hands shaky. I had been up all night trying to find a pattern, a clue, anything that might tell us how to stop this thing. Jen walked in, her face etched with concern. You need to sleep, she said softly. I can't, I replied, my voice tinged with desperation. Not until I figure this out. She sighed, knowing better than to argue, and left me to my obsession. Hours passed in a blur as I pored over the documents, my eyes scanning the text for any mention of fog, whistling, or unexplained disappearances. Slowly, a pattern began to emerge, a series of incidents stretching back decades, each one occurring in a different part of the park, but all sharing the same eerie similarities. I grabbed a red marker and began to mark the locations on the map, my hand trembling as the dots connected forming a shape that I couldn't quite place, a shape that seemed almost deliberate. My phone buzzed, snapping me out of my trance. It was a message from the ranger I had been in contact with, the one who had experienced something similar in another park. I found something, the message read. Something big. We need to meet. Now. I quickly typed a reply, agreeing to meet him at a location halfway between our parks. As I grabbed my coat and headed for the door, I took one last look at the map, my eyes widening in horror as I finally recognized the shape. It was a circle, almost perfect in its symmetry, and at its center was the trail where Zack and I had encountered the fog, the place where Jared and Emily had gone missing. I felt a chill run down my spine as the realization hit me. This wasn't random. It was a trap, a web spun by something ancient and malevolent, and we were the flies. As I drove to the meeting point, my mind raced with questions. What was this thing? How could we stop it? And most importantly, what did it want? I arrived at the location, a deserted rest stop off the highway, and waited. Minutes turned into hours, but there was no sign of the other ranger, 
Finally, my phone buzzed, a new message lighting up the screen. Don't trust anyone, it read. It's not what it seems. Before I could process the words, a low, haunting whistle filled the air, echoing through the trees and sending a wave of terror through my body. I looked around, my eyes straining to see through the darkness, but there was nothing there. And then, as suddenly as it had begun, the whistling stopped, replaced by a silence so complete it felt like a void, a nothingness that swallowed everything in its path. I sat there, paralyzed by fear, my mind screaming at me to run but my body refusing to move. And as I sat there, staring into the abyss, I knew one thing with chilling certainty. It was here. And it was coming for me. I've always had a thing for the wilderness. The way the trees stand tall like ancient guardians. The way the wind whispers secrets through the leaves. It's like nature's own cathedral. So when I heard about Amika Lola Falls State Park, it wasn't a question of if I would go, but when. I spent the morning packing my gear. My old backpack, worn from years of adventures, seemed eager to be filled with camping essentials. A compact tent, a sleeping bag, a portable stove, and a can of bear spray, just in case. Maps of the park were spread across my kitchen table, trails and landmarks marked in red ink. I felt like a general preparing for battle. Only my enemy was the chaos of modern life, and my allies were the towering pines and cascading waterfalls. The drive to the park was uneventful, but the moment I stepped out of my truck and onto the soil of Amika Lola, I felt like I had crossed into another world. The air was different here, crisper, cleaner, as if purified by the trees themselves. I took a deep breath, letting the scent of pine and damp earth fill my lungs. It was like inhaling freedom. I shouldered my backpack and started my hike. The trail was well marked, but not overly manicured, a sign that this park still respected the wild's untamed nature. As I ventured deeper, the sounds of civilization faded away, replaced by the symphony of rustling leaves, chirping birds, and my own steady footsteps. It was as if the forest was welcoming me, pulling me further into its embrace. The sun hung low in the sky, casting golden rays that filtered through the canopy of leaves, creating a mosaic of light and shadow on the forest floor. I felt a sense of peace wash over me, a tranquility that I hadn't felt in years. My worries, my stress, the never-ending to-do lists, they all seemed trivial now, dwarfed by the majesty of the world around me. But as the sun dipped closer to the horizon, a thought nudged its way into my peaceful reverie. I still needed to set up camp. I looked at my watch and realized that time had slipped away from me. In the city, the setting sun was just a signal that the workday was ending, but out here, it was a deadline. Darkness in the wilderness was an entirely different beast. I quickened my pace, my eyes scanning the terrain for a suitable campsite. The forest seemed to sense my urgency, the trees whispering as if discussing my predicament. I knew I had to find a spot soon, somewhere I could pitch my tent and build a fire before the curtain of night fell. And just like that, as if answering my silent plea, I spotted it, a small clearing near a creek, the water glistening in the fading sunlight. It was as if the forest had presented me with a gift, a perfect sanctuary in the heart of the wild. As I stepped into the clearing, I felt a sense of accomplishment, but also a hint of apprehension. The sun was setting, and the forest was preparing for its nocturnal life. I shook off the uneasy feeling. After all, this was what I came for. 
to be one with nature, to find peace in the solitude. But as the sky darkened, I couldn't shake the feeling that the forest was holding its breath, waiting for something, or someone, to break the silence. And so, with the last rays of sunlight disappearing behind the trees, I began to set up camp, unaware that the tranquility I had found would soon be shattered. The clearing by the creek was a godsend, like a sanctuary carved out by Mother Nature herself. The water flowed gently, its surface shimmering in the dying light, as if winking at me. I dropped my backpack to the ground, its weight leaving my shoulders as if taking with it the burdens I'd carried into these woods. I unrolled my tent, its fabric rustling like the wings of some nocturnal bird. The stakes drove easily into the soft earth, each thud a confirmation that I was claiming this little piece of wilderness, if only for a night. The tent stood proud and firm when I was done, a synthetic cocoon that promised a barrier, however thin, between me and the untamed world outside. Next came the fire. I gathered twigs and branches, their forms twisted and gnarled like the arthritic fingers of some woodland giant. The fire pit was a circle of stones, an ancient and primal design that had served mankind since we first stepped out of the caves and into the world. I struck a match, its flame tiny but fierce. The kindling caught, and soon enough a fire was dancing in the pit, its flames licking the air as if tasting the night. I sat back and opened a can of soup, its contents lukewarm but hearty. As I ate, I looked around, taking in the beauty of my surroundings. The firelight cast flickering shadows on the trees, turning them into wraith-like figures that swayed in the wind. The creek murmured softly, a lullaby sung by the earth itself. For a moment, I felt like the last man in the world, as if I had stepped outside of time and history, into a place that was as ancient as the hills and as fleeting as the mist. But as the sky grew darker, the atmosphere changed. The silence that had been so comforting earlier now felt heavy, as if charged with an unspoken tension. The fire seemed less cheerful, its light struggling to hold back the encroaching darkness. The trees loomed larger, their forms less distinct and more menacing. The wind picked up, its gusts no longer gentle but forceful, as if warning me of something yet to come. I shook my head, trying to dispel the unease that had settled over me. I was an experienced outdoorsman, no stranger to the moods and whims of the wild. And yet I couldn't shake the feeling that the forest had changed, that it was no longer the welcoming sanctuary it had been just hours before. I reached for my book, its pages filled with tales of adventure and courage, of men and women who had faced far greater dangers than a night in the woods. I read by the light of the fire, its glow turning the pages gold, as if imbuing the stories with a warmth and life of their own. But as I read, I became aware of another sound, faint but unmistakable. Footsteps. Not the four-legged kind, mind you, but the deliberate two-legged steps of something, or someone, approaching my camp. I closed the book and listened, my senses sharpening as the footsteps grew louder. I was no longer alone, and as I sat there, staring into the darkness beyond the firelight, I felt a chill run down my spine, colder than any wind that had blown through these woods. And so, with my heart pounding in my chest, I braced myself for what was to come. The footsteps seemed to hang in the air, like an unfinished sentence. I strained my ears, trying to pick apart the sounds of the night, to separate the natural from the unnatural. But the forest was a cacophony now, its once peaceful whispers turned into a dissonant chorus of creaks and rustles. I grabbed my flashlight, 
its beam a lance of light that cut through the darkness. I swept it around the campsite, its glow turning the trees into pillars of light and shadow. But there was nothing there, no sign of whoever, or whatever, had been approaching my camp. Probably just an animal, I muttered to myself, trying to shake off the unease that had settled over me like a shroud. I was a rational man, a man of logic and science. I didn't believe in ghosts or monsters, in things that went bump in the night. And yet, as I sat there staring into the fire, I couldn't shake the feeling that I was not alone, that I was being watched by eyes I could not see. I retreated to my tent, its fabric walls suddenly feeling as flimsy as paper. I zipped it shut, sealing myself off from the world outside. I picked up my book again, its pages a welcome escape from the tension that gripped me. I read by the light of my flashlight, its beam steady and unwavering, a stark contrast to the flickering firelight outside. But as I read, I became aware of another sound, one that I couldn't easily dismiss, a creaking noise, like the groan of old wood straining under weight. It was coming from the trees, from the towering giants that surrounded my camp. I listened, my heart pounding in my chest, as the creaking grew louder, more insistent, as if the trees themselves were trying to communicate, to warn me of something yet to come. I put down my book and unzipped the tent, my curiosity getting the better of my fear. I stepped outside, my flashlight in hand, and shone it towards the trees. They stood there, tall and silent, their branches swaying gently in the wind. But there was something different about them now, something unsettling. They seemed to lean towards me, their forms twisted and gnarled, as if reaching out to grab me. I shook my head, trying to dispel the illusion. I was letting my imagination get the better of me, turning shadows into monsters, sounds into warnings. I was a grown man, for God's sake, not a child scared of the dark. And yet as I stood there, staring into the depths of the forest, I heard it again. Footsteps. Deliberate, measured, and undeniably human. They were coming closer, each step a punctuation mark in a sentence I did not want to read. I retreated to my tent, my hands shaking as I zipped it shut. I sat there, my back against the fabric wall, my flashlight gripped tightly in my hand. I listened my breath shallow and ragged as the footsteps grew louder as they reached the edge of my camp. And so, with my heart pounding like a drum, I braced myself for the unknown, for the darkness that was about to step into the light. The footsteps stopped, as if hesitating at the edge of the firelight. My heart was a jackhammer in my chest, each beat echoing in the silence that had fallen over the camp. I clutched my flashlight like a weapon, its beam aimed at the tent's entrance ready to reveal whatever intruder dared to step into its light. Minutes passed, but they felt like hours. The tension was a living thing, a palpable force that filled the tent, making it hard to breathe. I strained my ears, listening for any sign, any clue as to what was lurking outside. But the forest had gone silent, as if holding its breath, waiting for the moment to strike. Finally, unable to bear the suspense any longer, I unzipped the tent and stepped outside. My flashlight cut through the darkness, its beam sweeping across the campsite, turning the trees into ghostly figures that danced and swayed in the wind. But there was no sign of the intruder, no trace of the footsteps that had approached my camp. Must have been my imagination, I muttered, trying to convince myself. But even as I spoke, I knew it was a lie. Those footsteps had been real, as real as the fear that gripped me now. I turned back towards the tent, 
ready to retreat into its false sense of security. But as I did, my flashlight caught something in the distance, a shape that was darker than the night, a figure that seemed to absorb the light rather than reflect it. I froze, my breath catching in my throat. The figure was tall and hunched, its form indistinct but undeniably human, or at least humanoid. It stood at the edge of the forest, just beyond the reach of the firelight, as if hesitant to step into the open. For a moment, we were locked in a silent standoff, each of us waiting for the other to make the first move. I considered calling out, demanding to know who or what was out there, but something held me back, a primal instinct that screamed at me to stay silent, to not draw attention to myself. And then, as if sensing my fear, the figure began to move. It stepped forward, its movements slow and deliberate, as if savoring the moment. My heart pounded in my ears, drowning out all other sounds, as the figure crossed the boundary between darkness and light, between the unknown and the known. As it stepped into the firelight, I braced myself for the reveal, for the face that would haunt my nightmares for years to come. But just as it was about to step into the light, just as its features were about to be revealed, I felt a sudden rush of vertigo, a wave of nausea that swept over me like a tsunami. I staggered back, my vision blurring, my flashlight slipping from my grasp. I tried to scream, to shout, to make any sound at all, but before I could, the world went dark, and I felt myself falling, tumbling into an abyss that had no bottom. And then, just as suddenly as it had begun, it was over. I blacked out, my consciousness slipping away like sand through my fingers, leaving me alone in the darkness, with the shadowy figure that had stepped out of my nightmares and into my life. I woke up to the sound of birdsong, a melody that seemed strangely out of place given the night's events. My eyes flickered open, squinting against the morning light that streamed through the tent's fabric. For a moment I lay there disoriented, my mind struggling to piece together the fragments of the night before. I sat up, my head pounding like a drum, each beat a reminder of the terror I had felt. I unzipped the tent and stepped outside, half expecting to see the shadowy figure still lurking in the woods. But there was nothing there, just the trees and the creek and the morning sun, all of it bathed in a golden light that seemed to mock my fear. I looked around, my eyes scanning the campsite for any signs of the intruder, but everything seemed to be in its place, just as I had left it. My backpack lay next to the tent, its contents untouched. The fire pit was a circle of ashes, its flames long since extinguished. Even the creek seemed unchanged, its waters flowing gently, as if the night's events had been nothing but a bad dream. But as I started to pack up my gear, I noticed something that sent a chill down my spine. My camping supplies were scattered across the ground, their contents spilled out like the entrails of some gutted animal. My food was gone, my water bottles empty, even my map was missing as if stolen by some phantom thief. I stood there staring at the mess, my mind racing. Had it been an animal? A bear, perhaps, or some other woodland creature? But no, that didn't make sense. Animals didn't steal maps, didn't empty water bottles. No, this had been the work of something far more sinister, something that walked on two legs and knew how to cover its tracks. I packed up what was left of my gear, my hands shaking as I folded the tent and shouldered my backpack. I felt violated, as if the forest had turned against me, had shown me its darker side. I wanted nothing more than to leave, to put as much distance between me and this cursed place as possible.
As I started to hike back to civilization, my steps quick and purposeful, I couldn't shake the feeling that I was being watched, that the shadowy figure was still out there, lurking in the woods. I kept glancing over my shoulder, half expecting to see it emerge from the trees, to hear its footsteps echoing in the wind. But there was nothing there, just the forest and the sky and the path that led back to the world I had left behind. And yet as I walked, I couldn't help but wonder, what had happened last night? What had I seen? What had I heard? And most importantly, why had it let me go? As I reached the edge of the forest, the trees giving way to open fields and paved roads, I felt a sense of relief wash over me, as if I had escaped some great danger. But even as I stepped back into the world of men, I knew that I would never be the same, that the events of that night would haunt me for the rest of my life, a dark shadow that I could never escape. I finally reached the ranger station, its wooden structure a symbol of order and safety in the midst of the wild. I pushed open the door, its bell chiming softly, a sound that seemed almost alien after the silence of the forest. The ranger looked up from his desk, his eyes meeting mine. You look like you've seen a ghost, he said, half joking, half serious. I hesitated, my words catching in my throat. How could I explain what had happened? How could I put into words the terror that still gripped me? I had an encounter, I finally said, my voice barely above a whisper. The ranger leaned back in his chair, his eyes narrowing. An encounter with what? A bear? A mountain lion? I shook my head, my hands trembling as I recounted the events of the night before. The footsteps, the shadowy figure, the blackout, all of it spilled out, like water from a broken dam. The ranger listened, his expression unreadable. When I was done, he sighed, as if weighing his words carefully. Look, it's easy to let your imagination run wild out there. The forest can play tricks on you, make you see and hear things that aren't really there. I stared at him, my heart sinking. He didn't believe me, didn't understand the gravity of what had happened. You think I'm making this up? I said, my voice tinged with desperation. You think I imagined all of this? The ranger shrugged, his eyes meeting mine. All I'm saying is that the wilderness is a strange place. People go missing all the time, swallowed up by the forest, never to be seen again. But most of the time, it's just a case of getting lost, of letting fear get the better of you. I stood up, my body trembling with a mixture of relief and frustration. He didn't believe me, but maybe that was for the best. Maybe it was better to let the world think I was crazy, rather than face the terrifying truth. As I turned to leave, the ranger spoke again, his voice low and serious. You said your map was missing, right? I nodded, my hand on the doorknob. He reached into his desk and pulled out a folded piece of paper, its edges worn and frayed. Found this a few miles from here, near an old trail that's been closed for years. Thought you might want it back. I took the map, my hands shaking as I unfolded it. It was mine, all right, but something was different. Something had been added a symbol or a mark that I had never seen before. It was a circle, drawn in what looked like red ink, near the spot where I had camped. As I stared at the mark, a chill ran down my spine, colder than any wind that had blown through those woods. I looked up, my eyes meeting the rangers, but he was no longer there. The station was empty, as if he had vanished into thin air. And then, as if on cue, I heard it. The sound of footsteps, slow and deliberate, echoing in the distance, growing louder with each passing second. I was not alone, and whatever had been watching me, 
whatever had let me go, had decided to come back, to finish what it had started. And as I stood there, staring into the abyss, I knew that this time, there would be no escape. I pulled my truck into the airport's short-term parking lot, the gravel crunching under the tires like dry bones. The sun was setting, casting long shadows that seemed to stretch out like the years since I'd last seen Riker. My nephew, a city boy, born and bred, but with a yearning for the great outdoors that I could only attribute to some dormant family gene. The terminal doors slid open, and there he was, a backpack slung over one shoulder and a look of weary excitement on his face. He'd grown taller, his features more defined, but the youthful glint in his eyes was as familiar as the mountain trails I called home. Uncle, he shouted, dropping his bag and rushing toward me. I braced myself for the impact of a bear hug. Man, it's been too long. Sure has, kid, I said, patting him on the back. You ready for a week in the wild? Born ready, he grinned, retrieving his bag. The drive back to my trailer was filled with talk of college, jobs, and the mundane intricacies of city life. I listened, nodding at the right moments, but my mind was on the week ahead. The Appalachian Mountains were a different beast altogether, beautiful but unforgiving, like a siren you couldn't ignore even when you knew better. We reached the trailer as darkness settled in, the outline of the mountains barely visible against the night sky. I fired up the grill the sizzle of steak filling the air with a rustic aroma, potatoes wrapped in foil cooked on the side, a humble but hearty meal for the journey ahead. So what's the plan? Riker asked, digging into his steak with gusto. We'll hit the trail first thing tomorrow, I said. Got a few spots in mind that offer the best views and a good challenge. Can't wait, he replied, his eyes lighting up at the prospect. As the night wore on, the conversation shifted from the mundane to the mysterious. The mountains had their own set of rules, a code that every hiker should know but few ever did. I could see the skepticism in Riker's eyes, a city-bred disbelief in the inexplicable. But he'd learn. They all did. Hey, I said as he got up to retire for the night. Make sure you close the curtains in your room, all right? He looked puzzled. We're in the middle of nowhere, Uncle. Who's going to be peeping through the windows? Just trust me on this one, I said, my voice tinged with a seriousness that made him pause. We'll talk about it tomorrow. Riker nodded, his expression a mix of confusion and curiosity. All right, if you say so. As I lay in bed that night, the curtains tightly drawn, I thought about the red eyes I'd seen years ago, peering through the window like a malevolent force from a world we're not supposed to know. I thought about Dan Williams, a fellow ranger who'd laughed off the warnings and paid the price. And as I drifted off to sleep, I couldn't shake the feeling that the mountains were watching us waiting to see if we'd play by their rules or defy them at our peril. And so, with the dawn of a new day, our journey into the unknown was about to begin. The aroma of freshly brewed coffee filled the trailer, mingling with the crisp morning air that seeped in through the cracks in the windows. I glanced at the clock, 5 a.m., early, but the mountains didn't wait for anyone. I poured myself a cup and took a sip, the bitterness jolting me awake. I heard Riker stir in the guest room, the creaking of the bed frame cutting through the silence. A few minutes later he emerged, his eyes still heavy with sleep, but a smile on his face. Morning, Uncle, he greeted, sniffing the air appreciatively. 
That coffee smells like heaven. Help yourself, I said, nodding toward the pot. We've got a long day ahead. As Riker poured his coffee, I started on breakfast. Scrambled eggs, bacon, and some toast. Simple, but it'd give us the energy we needed. We ate in companionable silence, both of us eager to hit the trail but savoring these quiet moments before the day's challenges. Just as we were finishing up, Riker's eyes darted to the sliding glass door leading to the front porch. Hey, looks like Barkley wants in, he said, getting up and heading toward the door. My heart skipped a beat. Wait, I yelled, louder than I intended. Riker froze, his hand inches from the door handle. What's wrong? I motioned for him to follow me into the living room, my eyes never leaving the figure outside the glass door. It looked like Barkley, all right, but something was off. The eyes were too vacant, the posture too stiff. I pointed to the corner of the room where Barkley lay on his dog bed, snoring softly. That's Barkley, I whispered, my voice tinged with an urgency I couldn't fully explain. Don't open that door. Riker looked from the real Barkley to the imposter outside, his eyes widening in disbelief. Is that a stray? I shook my head. No, it's something else, something you don't want to invite inside. As if on cue, the figure outside the door vanished, melting into the shadows like a wisp of smoke. Riker let out a shaky breath. What was that? It's hard to explain, I said, choosing my words carefully. Let's just say the mountains have their own set of rules. One of them is to make damn sure it's really your pet trying to get in. Riker stared at me, his eyes searching for a hint of jest. Finding none, he nodded slowly. All right, uncle, I'll remember that. We spent the next half hour getting our gear ready, the atmosphere tinged with a newfound sense of urgency. As I double-checked the straps on my backpack, my thoughts drifted to the red eyes I'd seen years ago and the doppelganger dog that had just tried to enter my home. The mountains were a place of beauty, but they were also a realm of mysteries that defied explanation. And as we stepped out the door, leaving the safety of my trailer behind, I couldn't help but wonder what other lessons the Appalachian Trail had in store for us. One thing was certain. Riker's education had just begun, and so had our journey into the heart of the unknown. The morning sun was a golden disk in the sky, casting its light over the undulating hills and dense forests of the Appalachian Trail. The air was crisp, tinged with the scent of pine and damp earth. It was the kind of day that made you grateful to be alive, and even more grateful to be miles away from the concrete jungle. Riker and I set out, our boots crunching on the gravel path that soon gave way to a dirt trail. We were surrounded by towering trees, their leaves forming a canopy that dappled the ground with shifting patterns of light and shadow. It was peaceful, the kind of peace you can only find in the heart of nature. So what's the plan for today? Riker asked, his eyes scanning the trail ahead as if expecting it to reveal its secrets. We'll head up to Eagle's Peak, I said. It's a bit of a climb, but the view from the top is worth every step. Riker grinned, his earlier apprehension replaced by the thrill of adventure. Lead the way, uncle. We hiked in companionable silence, each lost in our own thoughts, but united by the rhythm of our steps and the beauty that surrounded us. Every now and then, Riker would stop to take a photo or simply stand and breathe, his eyes wide with wonder. It was during one of these moments that I noticed the change. Riker's face grew tense, his eyes narrowing as he scanned the trees around us. You hear that? He asked, his voice barely above a whisper. I strained my ears, listening past the rustle of leaves and the distant calls of birds. And then I heard it. 
a low droning sound, like a siren but distorted, as if being played through a broken speaker. We need to get as far away from that noise as possible, I said, my voice tinged with an urgency that made Riker's eyes widen. But what if it's a weather alert or something, he protested. It's not, I said, cutting him off. Trust me, we need to move, now. We turned and started running, our boots pounding the earth as we retraced our steps. The siren grew louder, then softer, as if playing a cruel game of hide-and-seek. Just when I thought we'd put enough distance between us and the noise, it blared again, this time so close it felt like it was right on top of us. What the hell? Riker yelled, his hands clamped over his ears, and then we saw it. A towering structure that looked like an old vine-covered telephone pole, but with speakers at the top. It was moving, its base dragging along the ground as if propelled by some unseen force. The siren wailed, a deafening sound that seemed to shake the very air around us. Without a word, Riker and I turned and bolted, adrenaline fueling our steps as we ran like our lives depended on it, because they did. As we put distance between us and that monstrosity, the siren's wail grew fainter, until it was swallowed by the sounds of the forest. We didn't stop running until we were sure it was gone, our breaths coming in ragged gasps, our bodies drenched in sweat. Riker looked at me, his eyes wide with a mix of fear and disbelief. What was that? I took a deep breath, my mind racing as I tried to find the words to explain the unexplainable. Welcome to the Appalachian Trail, I said finally. You're not in the city anymore. We found a clearing a good distance away from where the siren had nearly cornered us. Our breaths were still ragged, our hearts pounding like drumbeats in a war dance. I set down my backpack and took a swig from my water bottle, the liquid barely quenching the dryness in my throat. Riker was pacing, his eyes darting around as if expecting the trees to come alive. All right, uncle, spill it. What the hell is going on here? I sighed, looking at him squarely. Sit down, Riker. We need to have the talk. He hesitated, then sat on a fallen log, his eyes never leaving mine. Is this where you tell me about the birds and the bees of the Appalachian Trail? In a manner of speaking, I said, taking a seat beside him. Except these birds and bees can be deadly. I began with the curtains, recounting the night I'd seen those red eyes staring through my window. I told him about Dan Williams, a fellow ranger who'd scoffed at the old tales and ended up a lifeless husk, his face twisted in eternal horror. Riker listened, his eyes widening with each tale. And you're sure this wasn't some animal? Or maybe a trick of the light? I've been a ranger for over two decades, I said, my voice tinged with a hardness that made him wince. I know every animal in these parts, and none of them have red eyes that can bore into your soul. He nodded, swallowing hard. Okay, what about that siren thing? What was that? That, I said, choosing my words carefully, is something you don't ever want to get close to. It's a cryptid a creature that defies explanation. It lures you in with that siren sound, and if it catches you, well, let's just say you don't want to find out. Riker looked at me, his eyes searching for a hint of exaggeration. You're serious, aren't you? As a heart attack, I said. There are things in these mountains that defy logic and explanation. Old folks call them spirits, demons, cryptids, whatever you want to name them. They're real, and they're dangerous. He took a deep breath, letting it out slowly as if exhaling his disbelief. So, what do we do? We follow the rules, I said. Always sleep with your curtains closed. Make sure it's really your pet trying to get in, 
and never ever get close to that siren. He nodded, his face set in grim determination. Anything else? I hesitated, then decided he was ready. There's a creature called the Wampus Cat, six-legged feline, bigger than a lion, with eyes that can hypnotize you. If you see it, avoid eye contact at all costs. Riker chuckled, then stopped when he saw my face. You're not joking, are you? No, Riker, I'm not, I said, standing up and shouldering my backpack. These mountains are beautiful, but they're also a minefield of the unexplained. Stick with me, follow the rules, and you'll get through this. He stood up, his eyes meeting mine. I'm with you, Uncle. Let's do this. As we resumed our hike, I couldn't help but feel a sense of foreboding. We'd escaped the siren, but the mountains had more lessons to teach, more rules to enforce, and we were just getting started. We made camp as the sun dipped below the horizon, painting the sky in shades of orange and purple that no artist could ever truly capture. The beauty of it was almost enough to make you forget the dangers lurking in the shadows, almost enough to lull you into a false sense of security. Almost. As Riker set up the tent, I gathered firewood, my eyes scanning the darkening woods. The rules were clear in my mind, each one a lifeline that could mean the difference between life and death. But there were other rules, other dangers that I hadn't shared with Riker yet. How could I, when I barely understood them myself? Fire's ready, Riker called, snapping me out of my thoughts. I returned to camp and sat by the fire, its warmth seeping into my bones as the temperature dropped. Riker joined me, a can of beans in one hand and a look of contentment on his face. This is amazing, uncle, he said, staring into the flames. I can't believe I've been missing out on this my whole life. It's a different world out here, I said, my eyes meeting his. One that can be both beautiful and terrifying. He nodded, his expression growing serious. You mentioned other dangers earlier. What were you talking about? I took a deep breath, choosing my words carefully. There's a creature known as the Wampus Cat. It's a six-legged feline, larger than any lion or tiger you've ever seen. It has golden eyes that can hypnotize you if you're not careful. Riker chuckled, then stopped when he saw my face. You're not kidding, are you? No, I said, my voice tinged with a gravity that made him sit up straight. Making eye contact with a wampus cat can put you in a trance, make you unable to move, and then, well, you become its dinner. He swallowed hard, his eyes wide with a mix of fear and fascination. What do we do if we encounter one? Your best bet is to catch it off guard and shoot it, I said, patting the rifle that lay beside me. If you don't have a gun, Hide and pray it doesn't find you. Running is not an option. He nodded, his face set in grim determination. Anything else I should know? I hesitated, then decided it was time. There are other things. Things I can't even begin to explain. Lights that dance in the sky but aren't stars. Whispers that come from nowhere. Shadows that move on their own. The key is to respect the mountains. To understand that we're merely visitors in a world we can't fully comprehend. He looked at me, his eyes filled with a newfound sense of respect. I understand, Uncle. I'll follow the rules, all of them. I nodded, satisfied. Good. That's the only way to survive out here. As we settled into our sleeping bags, the curtains of our tent tightly closed, I couldn't shake the feeling that we were being watched, that the mountains were testing us, waiting to see if we'd abide by their rules or pay the price for our ignorance. And as I drifted off to sleep, one thought echoed in my mind. The real journey was just beginning, and there was no turning back.
The morning sun broke through the canopy of leaves, casting dappled shadows on the forest floor. We were up early, packing our gear and dousing the fire, leaving no trace of our presence. The mountains demanded respect, and we gave it willingly, knowing the price of arrogance. We've got a long hike ahead, I said, shouldering my backpack. We'll head down to the valley, then make our way to the waterfall. It's a sight to behold. Riker nodded, his eyes shining with anticipation. I can't wait, Uncle. This has been the most incredible experience of my life. I smiled, touched by his enthusiasm, but also wary of the dangers that still lay ahead. It's not over yet, kid. Remember, always stay alert. We set off, the trail winding its way through towering trees and overgrown bushes, each step taking us deeper into the heart of the mountains. The air was thick with the scent of damp earth and decaying leaves, a smell that I'd come to associate with both life and death. As we walked, I couldn't shake the feeling that we were not alone, that something was watching us from the shadows. I glanced at Riker, who seemed blissfully unaware, lost in the beauty of the moment. I envied him, wished I could see the world through his eyes if only for a moment. And then I heard it, a soft rustling in the bushes, a sound that was almost drowned out by the chirping of birds and the rustle of leaves. Almost. I stopped, my hand going to the rifle slung over my shoulder. Did you hear that? Riker paused, his eyes scanning the trees. Hear what? Before I could answer, a low growl echoed through the forest. A sound so deep and guttural it seemed to come from the bowels of the earth. I turned, my eyes meeting a pair of golden orbs that glinted from the shadows. Wampus cat, I whispered, my voice tinged with a dread that sent a chill down my spine. Riker looked at me, his eyes wide with terror. What do we do? Remember the rules, I said, my eyes never leaving those golden orbs. Avoid eye contact, and whatever you do, don't run. As if sensing our fear, the creature stepped into the light, its six-legged frame towering over us like a demon from the darkest corners of our nightmares. It growled again, a sound that shook us to our very core, then turned and vanished into the forest, leaving us trembling in its wake. We need to go, I said, my voice barely above a whisper. Now. We resumed our hike, each step weighed down by the knowledge of what lurked in the shadows. And as we made our way through the forest, one thought echoed in my mind. The mountains had let us go, but the rules had changed. The stakes raised in a game we were only beginning to understand. And somewhere in the depths of the Appalachian Trail, the golden eyes of the wampus cat watched and waited, its growl a chilling reminder that we were merely visitors in a world we could never truly belong. The end was just the beginning, and the real journey had yet to come.